Television hijackings refer to incidents in which unauthorized individuals or groups gain control of a broadcast signal and interrupt regular programming to broadcast their own content. These events have occurred sporadically over the years and have often been used as a form of protest, prank, or publicity stunt. The hijackers typically display their own messages, images, or videos, often with the intention of conveying a particular message, causing chaos, or simply seeking attention. Psychologically, broadcast interruptions can cause fear, paranoia, and distrust of a previously trusted channel. This was definitely the case in the Max Headroom incident. Not only were viewers in Chicago, where the hijacking took place, confused, but all around the world and even today, nearly 36 years after the incident. What makes this mystery so intriguing? Who was the mastermind behind the hijacking? Why the Max Headroom mask? All of this and more will be answered in today's episode. This is Mental History. Thanks for listening. Broadcast interruptions have been scaring viewers since they began, whether it be over television, radio, emergency alert systems, or other means of communication, we don't like our safety or information being compromised. The first recorded instance of a television hijacking, according to the Independent Broadcast Authority, was on November 26, 1977. An audio message was transmitted during the ITN news segment on Southern Television in the UK. The message, attributed to Vrilon of the Ashtar Galactic Command, claimed to be from outer space. While the video signal remained unaffected, the audio was replaced by a six-minute speech discussing the fate of humanity and a forthcoming catastrophe that would impact Earth and other worlds. Obviously, this was just a hacker trying to scare ITN viewers, but this was far from the last time such an event was broadcast live. In the early hours of April 27, 1986, at 12.32 a.m. Eastern Time, HBO's satellite signal from its operations center in New York experienced an unexpected disruption. The interruption, lasting approximately four to five minutes, was instigated by an individual who identified himself as Captain Midnight. The intrusion took place during a broadcast of The Falcon and the Snowman, impacting viewers along the east coast of the United States. This captivating incident coincided with the individual's threat to similarly target Showtime and the movie channel. Subsequently identified as John R. McDougall from McCullough, Florida, the individual responsible for this disruption was promptly apprehended and prosecuted. The origins of his capture trace back to a tip provided by a Wisconsin resident who overheard McDougall bragging about his involvement while using a phone booth on Interstate Highway 75 in Gainesville, Florida. An FCC investigation solidified McDougall's culpability by revealing his solitary presence at the Central Florida teleport during the time of the intrusion. The jamming video analysis demonstrated that the textual content was generated using equipment located at this facility. 
McDougall faced charges related to unauthorized transmission. He later admitted his guilt, resulting in a fine of $5,000 and a year of probation. The uncertainty surrounding this case and charge prompted the creation of 18 U.S.C. 1367, establishing satellite jamming as a felony offense. The motivation behind McDougall's actions stemmed from his frustration with HBO's service fees, which he believed were adversely affecting his business selling satellite dishes. The intrusion was executed during his second job as a master control operator at a satellite teleport in Florida, a role he undertook to supplement his income. The message conveyed during the intrusion, overlaid onto SMPTE color bars, featured the following text. Good evening, HBO. From Captain Midnight. $12.95 a month? No way. Showtime slash movie channel? Beware. The purpose of 18 U.S.C. Chapter 5, known as Title 18 of the United States Code, is to uphold the U.S. government's authority over radio transmission channels. This is achieved by allowing individuals temporary use of these channels granted through licenses authorized by federal entities. These licenses do not confer any rights beyond the specific terms, conditions, and duration stipulated within the license itself. The law prohibits any person from operating devices for transmitting energy, communications, or signals via radio under various circumstances. I will not be listing those here for your sake and mine because there are a lot of legal terms and repetition. On September 6, 1987, a movie on the Playboy channel was interrupted. Suddenly, the screen went black and white text said, Thus saith the Lord thy God, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is important to note that this day was in fact a Sunday. This incident led to the conviction of Thomas Haney, who worked at the Christian Broadcasting Network. Haney maintained his innocence throughout the legal process. However, he became the first individual to be convicted under that newly federal law that we discussed. The investigation focused on the religious nature of the message and the equipment used for the disruption. Clues embedded within the jamming signal, akin to digital fingerprints, were captured on a VHS recording made during the event. Investigators identified the transmitter and character generator brand from the captured video, which led them to believe that the Christian Broadcasting Network was responsible. At the time of the interruption, Haney was on duty as an uplink engineer. CBN countered the accusations, emphasizing the circumstantial nature of the FCC's case. They argued there were no witnesses and that the signal's point of origin could not be traced. Throughout the investigation, experts from both sides attempted to recreate the incident using CBN's equipment, but the endeavors proved unsuccessful, as communicated by CBN's spokesperson, Dino McCann. As the trial progressed, the jury initially faced a deadlock, but eventually sided with the prosecution. Haney was found guilty on two of the six counts brought against him. With the government cracking down on criminals who interrupted television channels illegally, especially with nefarious intent, you would think that hackers would take note. However, on the night of November 22, 1987, the most horrifying broadcast interruption to date would take place. WGN-TV in Chicago was broadcasting a news segment. 
a recap of an earlier Chicago Bears game. Without warning, viewers' screens went black. For about 15 agonizing seconds, everyone was left wondering what would happen next. Was it a studio power outage? A routine emergency alert broadcast? But when the screen came back on, there was a man in a mask and sunglasses staring directly down the lens of the camera. More importantly, the mask was that of Max Headroom, a character we'll dissect the importance of later. Amidst muffled words and an erratic swaying background, the man in the mask makes unknown noises and almost dances back and forth. This only lasted 20 seconds before WGN-TV engineers switched frequency, taking back the broadcast. Sports reporter Dan Rowan was just as confused as everyone involved. Well, if you're wondering what's happened, <laughs> so am I. While 20 seconds isn't long, the imagery was disturbing to many. Distorted noises and laughter can be heard, although muffled, throughout the interruption. For now, though, WGN-TV and its viewers could rest easy knowing the airways were secure. That same night, at about 11.20 p.m., the signal of local PBS station WTTW was interrupted during an airing of the Doctor Who serial Horror of Fang Rock. The culprit was the same Max Headroom impersonator. This time, however, he was speaking to the viewer. The masked figure made a comment about nerds, called WGN sportscaster Chuck Swirsky a quote, frickin' liberal, and held up a can of Pepsi while saying, catch the wave. This is a Coca-Cola reference. He also held up his middle finger. The figure then ran through a series of quick comments and song snippets interspersed with excited noises and exclamations. Max sang the phrase, your love is fading, hummed part of the theme song to the 1959 animated series Clutch Cargo, and said, I still see the X. This is sometimes misinterpreted as, I stole CBS. He made some vulgar comments and explained that he had, quote, made a giant masterpiece for all the world's greatest newspaper nerds. WGN's call letters, of course, stand for World's Greatest Newspaper, and discussed sharing a pair of dirty gloves with his brother. After a quick video edit, the person had moved mostly off-screen to the left, with his partially exposed butt visible from the side, with a female figure wearing a French maid costume and what appears to be a mask appearing on the right edge of the frame. I wish I was making this up. The unworn Max Headroom mask was briefly held in view while the voice cried out, Oh no, they're coming to get me. Ah, make it stop. And the female figure began spanking Max with a fly swatter. The image faded briefly into static, and then viewers were returned to the Doctor Who broadcast of a total interruption of about 90 seconds. Technicians at WTTW Studios could not counteract the signal takeover because there were no engineers on duty at that hour at the Sears Tower where the station's broadcast was located. According to station spokesman Anders Yocom, technicians monitoring the transmission from WTTW headquarters, quote, attempted to take corrective measures but couldn't. Air Director Paul Rizzo recalled that, quote, as the content got weirder, we got increasingly stressed out about our inability to do anything about it. The broadcast hijacking ended when the hackers chose to end their transmission. By the time our people began looking into what was going on, it was over, said Yocom recalling the event. 
WTTW, of course, received numerous phone calls from viewers who wondered what had occurred. After the break, we'll talk about the character of Max Headroom, further investigation, and of course, conspiracy theories surrounding the incident. Mental health isn't something to be taken lightly. That's why Own Your Stigma works with mental health advocates to break down barriers. Mental History Podcast is here to spark conversations, spread understandings, and erase the stigma surrounding mental health. Use code MENTALHISTORY, all one word, at ownyourstigma.com to unlock an exclusive 15% off discount on your entire order. Embrace their empowering merchandise designed to remind you that every step of your journey is worth celebrating. Ownyourstigma.com affiliate code MENTALHISTORY. To support the show in another special way, follow at Mental History Podcast on Instagram. So who was Max Headroom? Well, he was a fictional character renowned for his unique and futuristic appearance, as well as his distinct and quirky personality. Max made his debut in the mid-1980s thanks to a collaboration between British and American media luminaries. His influence extended across various media formats, including television, movies, commercials, and music videos, cementing his status as an unforgettable icon in popular culture. Hi, Max Edroom here with... This is my guest. I heard you were big time in the old pop is. Well, I'm going to take that as a no comment. So, nitty gritty time. What I'm talking about, and you're not, is that more people prefer the new refreshing taste of Coke over Pepsi. Sweating? It's true. More people are, as we Cokeologists say, catching the wave. Catch it if you can, can. Catch the wave. Coke. The movie Max Headroom, 20 Minutes into the Future, was the first introduction of this character to the world. It presented a glimpse into a future where media, technology, and society intersected in unsettling ways. Originally airing in 1985, the film offered a thought-provoking commentary on the potential consequences of technology for society during the 1980s. The movie takes place in a futuristic world controlled by powerful TV networks and corporations. It follows Edison Carter, a brave investigative journalist, as he investigates a conspiracy involving a new and dangerous form of TV advertising known as blipverts. These high-energy, ultra-short ads have the unintended effect of causing viewers to spontaneously combust. Max Headroom, a virtual AI entity, is created as a byproduct of an experiment involving Edison Carter. Following a tragic accident, Carter's consciousness is preserved in digital form, resulting in the development of our main character. And his name comes from a sign that he saw right before the accident uh, that said, of course, Max Headroom. Max's signature look features a computer-generated face with glitchy features, complemented by large sunglasses, neatly styled blonde hair, and a speech pattern marked by stutters and distortions. This design captures the essence of a digital personality, reflecting the aesthetics of a fragmented and artificial world. His personality is a blend of wit, satire, and occasional sarcasm, making him a charismatic and unconventional host and spokesperson. 
He often delves into topics such as media, technology, consumerism, and societal norms with a playful irreverence. The character's popularity surged as he became the host of the Max Headroom Show, a popular talk show in the UK. His fame then led him to the American TV series Max Headroom, which aired from 1987 to 1988. In this show, Max is an AI persona who provides comedic commentary and glimpses into a futuristic dystopian universe. One of Max Headroom's notable achievements was his participation in a marketing campaign for Coca-Cola. His unique character illuminated a series of commercials in the mid-1980s, creating an indelible brand identity for Coca-Cola. Max Headroom's enigmatic appearance and discourse made him a symbol at the intersection of technology, media, and society well beyond the 1980s. His legacy continues to influence media, advertising, and the representation of digital personas. Max Headroom, 20 Minutes into the Future, offers a cautionary tale about the potential consequences of unchecked technological advancement, the manipulation of media, and the erosion of individual agency. Its portrayal of a dystopian future reflects the anxieties and concerns of the 1980s regarding the evolving role of technology in society, making it a thought-provoking commentary on the relationship between humans and technology. This makes the choice to use a Max Headroom mask even more compelling. Is there a deeper meaning here? Obviously, this whole incident could be chalked up to a harmless prank, but there's more to consider before we write this off. During the 1980s, the idea of a regular person hijacking a television network was virtually inconceivable. This is due to the fact that such an act would require an array of technical skills, access to specialized equipment, an understanding of encryption protocols, and a profound knowledge of broadcasting infrastructure. This is, of course, without getting into the legal and moral implications of a broadcast hijacking. To interrupt a television station's signal, one would need to be intimately acquainted with the intricacies of broadcasting and transmission, as well as the specific equipment located within broadcasting facilities. This level of technical expertise was typically possessed only by professionals with years of experience in the broadcasting industry. Without insider knowledge of the broadcasting industry, it would be highly unlikely for someone to successfully hijack a television station's signal in the 1980s. Those responsible for such incidents likely had direct or indirect connections to broadcasting stations and, of course, expertise in the field. The technical expertise and specialized knowledge required to interrupt a television station's signal was a formidable barrier for anyone without professional experience. So, suspects were narrowed down by those who could have insider knowledge of broadcasting. The signal hijackings were investigated by federal authorities and the broadcasting stations affected. The Federal Communications Commission and the FBI, along with other law enforcement agencies, collaborated to identify the perpetrators. Technical experts, broadcast engineers, and forensic analysts worked together to uncover the tactics used to locate those accountable. Law enforcement efforts to identify the hijackers have been unsuccessful so far. The media's coverage of the incidents has only added to the confusion and intrigue surrounding them. News outlets reported the first hijacking as it was a bizarre incident that sparked public curiosity and concern. 
The hijackers' unexpected behavior and intrusion captured the attention of audiences across the nation. The media continued to report on the ongoing investigation, providing updates on the progress being made. And as the investigation continued, theories emerged about the motive behind the hijackings, ranging from harmless pranks to political statements. Desperate for answers, the public formed various conspiracies as to what was going on and who the man was behind the mask. There are several theories about who might have been responsible for the Max Headroom broadcast hijackings. One possibility is that a former or current employee of a broadcasting station could have been the culprit. Those who support this theory argue that the level of technical expertise required to pull off such a hijacking suggests that the person responsible had familiarity with broadcasting equipment. This person may also have had grievances against the industry and use hijacking as a form of protest. Another theory is that the hijackings were elaborate stunts or pranks designed to grab public attention. Supporters of this theory point out that the hijackers' monologues were often nonsensical and surreal. The goal may have been to create confusion, generate buzz, and raise questions about broadcasting system security. The hijackers' strange antics and obscure references seemed to provoke curiosity and amusement at the same time. Some conspiracy theorists believe that the hijackings were acts of cultural commentary or social critique. They see the hijackers' actions as a subverse performance aimed at challenging media consumption norms, consumerism, and societal conformity. According to this theory, the bizarre and thought-provoking content was a form of artistic statement intended to prompt audiences to question their relationship with technology and media. There is also a political theory suggesting that the hijackings could have been an attempt to make a statement about politics, societal values, or corporate influence. The Max Headroom character's status as a cultural icon, combined with the impersonator's unconventional behavior, fuels this line of thought. Supporters of this theory believe that the hijacker may have used the broadcast interruption as a platform to communicate a hidden message or commentary on contemporary issues. Despite the many theories and speculations, the Max Headroom incident has become more than just a broadcast interruption. It has become a canvas for public fascination, intellectual conjecture, and creative interpretations. The layers of mysteries surrounding the identity of the hijacker, their motives, and the audacity of the acts have contributed to the incident's enduring mystery and intrigue. In our previous episode, we discussed the lost media of the Babushka Lady as it pertains to JFK's assassination. Unsurprisingly, I have found a way to talk about the lost media community yet again in today's episode. According to the Lost Media Wiki, on November 10th, 2010, a Reddit poster claimed to know the persons behind the hijacking incident. In 2013, a follow-up to the discussion from Reddit's Chicago forum verified the original poster's details and confirmed the story. Working with these two posters, Chris Niddle of Vice and Motherboard wrote a complete article with additional research that seemingly confirms the veracity of the two anonymous posters' stories, leading to the conclusion that the mystery had been solved. However, the names of the suspects have never been revealed, and the original Reddit tipster has since indicated he is no longer certain of this identification. 
The first hijacking is presumed to have not been as widely recorded as the second since it aired during a news broadcast. On November 22, 2017, the Museum of Classic Chicago Television, an online museum dedicated to the preservation of programming from the Chicago area, uploaded a copy of the first transmission to their YouTube channel. On the other hand, due to the large number of American Doctor Who fans regularly taping episodes off of WTTW, many copies of the second hijacking survive in full, and several have since been uploaded to YouTube, a number with subtitles. Since the hijacking almost certainly involved two separate segments of pre-recorded video, the unaired audio from the first broadcast may still be in the possession of the hijackers. Since leaking the tapes risks revealing their identities, it is unlikely that this original video will ever see the light of day. The Max Headroom incident provoked a range of emotions, including fear, curiosity, and fascination. It highlighted the power of the unknown and the human mind's ability to conjure up dread and intrigue from unfamiliar situations. The event also revealed the delicate relationship between innovation and vulnerability, forcing us to reflect on the dance between technological advancement and the potential for disruption. And considering the Max Headroom incident and other similar events, we must acknowledge the fragility of our connection to the digital realm. We, myself included, recording this podcast, rely on technology for so many aspects of our lives, and yet it can be turned against us in unsettling ways. The hijacking of television signals is a reminder that the same tools that empower us can also be used as instruments of chaos if put into the wrong hands. As we reflect on these unsettling events, we are reminded of the enduring struggle between innovation and our primal fears. The stories of television hijacking, from experimental signals to surreal moments, have shaped the landscape of television history. They serve as a cautionary tale and a reminder that our journey through media mysteries is far from over. Thank you for listening. To stay connected and never miss a beat, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Mental History Podcast. There you'll find captivating visuals, behind-the-scenes stories, and exciting updates on upcoming episodes. For an extra special way to show your support, check out the show notes for links and my other empowering creative projects. These endeavors support both the show and my company, Creations by V LLC. Stay curious, embrace learning, and question everything.